been here over the past couple of weeks, you would have noticed that we've been, um, yeah, just looking at John's Gospel, if you didn't pick one up on the way in, uh, please grab one or let Ryan get one for you. And we're actually sort of looking at it uh, because in John's Gospel there's this idea that Jesus has that we're all actually searching for something. There's something that we're looking for in life uh, that will give us joy, that will give us fulfilment, satisfaction. Uh, and Jesus particularly picks up that idea in this passage that Evan just read for us in John chapter 4 when he meets this woman at the well. And now I know this might be a little bit hard for you to imagine today, but I want to ask you, have you ever been really thirsty? There's a lot of water around today. You might not be feeling very thirsty, but have you ever felt like that? You've ever just been parched, you've been thirsty. Jesus says we're actually all thirsting for something. And he wants to use this kind of physical picture of thirst to talk about a spiritual picture of what we're actually searching for in life. We're searching for something, he says. And what Jesus wants to tell us tonight is this. He is the thirst quencher. He can quench your thirst. Does anyone remember this ad? The solo man, he's like tipping it back and... He gets into it. Have a look at verse 14. If you've got your um, gospel there, look at verse 14. Jesus says there, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's a pretty fascinating claim, don't you reckon? Jesus is saying as desperately as we need water as people, like that guy in the desert, as desperately as we need water... There's actually a deeper thirst. And Jesus says he can satisfy that thirst, that life thirst that we have, that we kind of search for in all these other places. And I reckon to really understand what Jesus is saying, we actually need to do something that you might not instantly think. We actually need to go back to the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. Uh, One of the great um, principles I think we, we have when we read the Bible is that The Old Testament gives us great context so that we can understand the New. So everything that was written before Jesus helps us to understand what Jesus is doing. So what I want to do really quickly is just tell you about four stories that happen in the Old Testament that are all about wells and water and thirst because they actually set the context for what we're doing. So the first one is this. In Genesis chapter 29... Genesis 29, uh, we meet a guy called Jacob. And you see actually in John 4 that where is Jesus? He's at Jacob's well, right? So we meet a guy called Jacob uh, in Genesis 29. And what happens is Jacob goes to this well to get water. And there's a girl there called Rachel. She's beautiful. She's stunning. And there's this massive kind of rock on top of the well. And Jacob... And Rachel's waiting there. She's waiting for someone to come along to take this rock off to help her out. And Jacob just almost trips over trying to help her out because he just sees her and he's in love. That's the first story. It's actually the first moment these two meet. That's the first step to them becoming uh, husband and wife, to them becoming married. It's the beginning of a love story. Uh, the second story in the Old Testament that involves wells and water and thirst is actually very similar. Uh, it involves a guy called Moses, who you've probably heard of. Uh, there's a similar story where Moses is near a well. Moses is at the well this time. And this girl called Zipporah comes along, and she's got sisters, and she's got her flocks, and they're out in the desert. And 
uh, she's brought her sheep to come and get water. And then these shepherds come along and they try to shoo her away so that they can get to the well first. But Moses steps in and he rescues her. And that story is actually the time that Moses meets his wife. It's a love story. Get the, get, see, what, see what's happening? See the idea? Both stories, they're kind of these young love stories. It's beautiful. The third story is a little bit different. The third story is with Moses as well. A little bit later in the book of Exodus, uh, God has led his people out of Egypt, if you know that story. God has led his people out of Egypt, and they're in the desert, they're in the wilderness, and they're parched of thirst. And they cry out. They say, they start grumbling. They say, we're thirsty. I can't believe God let us out here. And, they, and they're, they're, they're crying out to God, and something incredible happens. God himself appears. And he stands on a rock. And he says to Moses, Moses, strike this rock that I'm standing on, and water will flow out of it. So Moses gets his staff and he smacks the rock and water comes flowing out of it. And that's the third story. The rock is struck and God provides water. Their thirst is satisfied. Now, the fourth story is very different. It comes much later in the Bible. It's in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. And this is what we read. Jeremiah chapter 2 says this. God actually says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. God refers to himself as the spring of living water. God says, They have forsaken me. They have dug their own wells that cannot hold water. So do you see the picture? Do you see all, all, this, all these stories in the Old Testament kind of build a bit of a, a picture for us, some, some context? The well of water in biblical imagery is like this love, this, this, this moment of young love where people meet together and there's this provision from God and you see that the people are satisfied, they're provided for in the desert and it comes from God the rock, God is the provider. In other words, the Old Testament context is telling us that true satisfaction comes from the love of God. And yet, in Jeremiah, what do we see? People don't choose God as their source of satisfaction. It's kind of like saying we get our own shovels and we start digging and we create our own well and we look for satisfaction in all these other places. That's the Old Old Testament context. Uh, I think that will actually really help us Uh, understand what Jesus is saying to us. But just for a moment, I actually want us to think about just that last image, the Jeremiah one. See, I want us to think about maybe some of the wells that we go to, where we dig, where we try to find satisfaction in life that's not God. The great Mick Jagger, he once said this, he said, I can't get no satisfaction said it a lot of times in that song, actually. I can't get no satisfaction if you know the song. But it's interesting, right? When you go and kind of read the literature of what people are saying about satisfaction, or when you go and read some of the books about where we find satisfaction, particularly in the West, there's kind of these big three, three main areas, where we humans technically kind of look for satisfaction. 
These are the big three. Sex, money and power. That seems seems to be what a lot of people are saying. That's, That's where we're looking to find satisfaction in life. And I guess what I want to say tonight is when we look at these kind of big three, these are all good and fine and good gifts from God, right? Uh, God gives us these things, but I think we actually chase them. Not so much because of the things themselves, but because of what they actually promise us. There's something kind of smuggled into them uh, behind the scenes. So, so let me explain. Why do you reckon we chase after money? I reckon we chase after money, or we're tempted to chase after money, because it promises us security and pleasure. So you think about it, you come to uni, you get into the best course that you can, so that you can get a job, so that you can get money, so that you can set yourself up, so that you can provide for your family, so that you can have savings, so that if anything bad happens, then you'll kind of be safe and you'll be okay, and you're doing it for security, and you get money so that you can spend it on yourself and have pleasure. There's these kind of... We don't actually want money just for having money's sake, right? We actually want it because of what it promises us. Security. Pleasure. Similarly, I think we chase after sex, partly because sex is a good and enjoyable gift from God, but we actually chase after sex because of what it communicates to us. Uh, See, sex actually communicates that someone really loves us, that they accept us. That's why we actually crave romantic relationships, because something deep inside of us says that we want an assurance that someone loves us, someone cares for us. That might sound strange, but pornography also fools people into thinking this way. And when people watch pornography, they see the person on the screen and they believe that that person really loves them, that they're they're giving themselves to them, that they belong to them. That's why it's so addictive. Because deep within us, we actually have these desires for acceptance and for love. In the same way, I think we chase after power. In a certain way, I think here at uni in particular, we kind of chase after popularity. That's the kind of power that I think is going on for us. It's not exactly like we need a thousand Facebook friends, or two thousand as some people have, but we like that because we like to be liked. We like to be liked because when we are liked, we feel like we belong, like we're a part of the group. It makes us feel good. So in our hearts, do you see, I think we actually crave security. We crave love. We crave a sense of belonging. We actually crave them because that's what we were created for. We're actually created to be safe. We're created to belong. We're created to be loved. The first people, Adam and Eve, actually had all that in the garden. But today, in Jeremiah at least, we see that we actually go searching in all these other places for things that can satisfy. But they don't satisfy. I want to show you a couple of cartoons. Have a look at these cartoons. This one's about money. guy says, I finally did it. I made a million dollars and now I'm totally satisfied and I feel no need or desire for any more money. Seriously? Not even going to try for two million. Never heard anyone say that. 
It just doesn't happen, right? It just doesn't happen. Or this one. I finally did it. I had a one-night stand with the hottest woman I've ever seen in my life. I now feel totally fulfilled and I would no longer pursue joy through hedonism. <laughs> Ever heard anyone say that? It doesn't happen, right? Well, this one. I finally did it. I'm popular and influential. I have a bazillion Twitter and Facebook followers and a book deal. I no longer feel a need to expand my influence, nor do I feel any pressure to further my celebrity status. Just total satisfaction. Yes. 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 <laughs> Whatever that is, right? I mean, if you haven't met anyone who's said those sort of things, I'm just totally satisfied. These things have just done it for me. And we always want more, don't we? We chase after those things. They promise us certain things, but they just don't deliver. Jim Carrey, quite interestingly, very rich, very popular. Very successful. He says this, he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that that's not the answer. Have a look at verse 13 there in the Bible, John chapter 4. Have a look at how similar that is to what Jesus says. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Will be thirsty again. See, as Evan read that before, did you pick up what? Uh, did you pick up what the woman was thirsty for? You can see there in verse eighteen. In verse eighteen, we see that this woman has had five failed marriages. She's on to a sixth relationship. Uh, she's not married to this new man, but they're just living together. Five failed marriages. What's the broken well that she's kind of digging? doesn't take, you know, you don't have to be Sigmund Freud to work this one out, do you? She's trying to find satisfaction in the arms of another man. She's searching for love. And each time, each man has turned out to be a broken well that just didn't satisfy. The well ran dry, so on to the next, and on to the next, and on to the next, do you see? She's searching for love. And I think it's actually worth us asking the question... What are we drinking that we're hoping will satisfy us? What are we looking to that we think will actually fulfill our belongings that's not God? I think for me, to be honest, I have this kind of thing where where I actually want to be really successful. I think if I just get successful... I mean, imagine if the Christian Union grew to be 300 people. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be amazing, actually, but why do I want it to be amazing? Well, because then people from the outside would look in and they go, wow, that's Steve, he must be a great guy. He must be a great leader. And that would appeal to my pride. It would stop me from loving people. It's actually a whole lot of sin in that. But I desire it, why? Because I'm actually wanting to find satisfaction in other people's praise, in other people liking me instead of knowing that God loves me and he delights in me. That's just something I struggle with. I think it's actually worth being really honest and trying to work it out. What is it that we struggle with? What is it that we're kind of pursuing to find satisfaction? It's worth being honest about that with ourselves and perhaps with someone else sharing that. Because Jesus, do you see in this passage, is really honest with this woman. So did you notice that? Uh, he, he just calls her for what it is. She says, you've got, you know, 
Five, you've had five husbands and the one you're with is leaving your husband. He just exposes that straight out. But do you notice? Jesus doesn't condemn her for it. He doesn't hold it over her. No, what you see is that he approaches her and that he loves her and that he wants to fill her up. See, have a look. Just skip back to verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 and 7, we read there the interaction, the first interaction of Jesus with this woman. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? See, here is Jesus, do you see? He is thirsty, and he approaches this Samaritan woman, and he says, Will you give me a drink? And this is incredible, actually. If you kind of know some of the, the first century context and cultural rules and regulations around this, in Jesus approaching this woman, he is breaking every social convention of the day. She's the wrong race. She's the wrong religion. She's the wrong gender. She has the wrong lifestyle. And what does Jesus do? He approaches her. He doesn't care about that stuff. He invites relationship with her and he offers her living water. It's incredible. That's the kind of person that Jesus is. He wants relationship with us. He knows our past, but he says no matter what your past looks like, I want relationship with you. And you see here in verse 9, don't you, just how shocked this woman actually is. In verse 9, she says, Jesus, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In other words, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing talking to me? What does Jesus say in verse 10? In verse 10, Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Just see here, friends, no matter what you have done, no matter what wells you've been drinking from, Jesus here is showing us that none of that matters to him. None of that matters. He wants a relationship with you. This woman, she's been searching for a man who will finally love her. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm that man. I'm that guy. I can satisfy you. And so I think the question we have to ask is, how do we get it today? How do we actually get what Jesus is offering this woman back then? Well, I think if you look in verses 21 to 24, we actually see the answer. See, back in verse 16, the woman had asked Jesus a question about where people should go to worship God. What mountain should they go on? The Samaritans, they had their mountain. The Jews had their mountain. And she sort of kind of switched the topic because I think it was getting a bit close to home. And she said, well, you know, Jesus, you're talking about my sin and stuff, but let's talk about mountains for a moment. Um, Look at what Jesus says in verses 21 to 24, answer to her question. He says this, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming, or the hour is coming, and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Do you see there in verse 23 and verse 24 how we get this satisfying relationship that Jesus offers? It's repeated twice. (laughs) He says it's by coming to God in spirit and in truth. Now in John's Gospel... Jesus is called the truth, right? So what's he saying? He's saying, if you want a relationship with God, you come to me. You've got to come to me. The real place you worship is me, Jesus is saying. Not in Samaria, not in Jerusalem, not in a church building, not in a cathedral. You don't have to go to any of those places. No, you come to Jesus in truth. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you my spirit. I will teach you my truth. And you'll be drawn into this satisfying relationship with the Father. But notice, just have a look there again at verse 23. Jesus says there, the hour is coming when this will all happen. Now that's really important because over and over in John's Gospel, Jesus actually mentions his hour. Some of our versions have this time, but literally it's this hour. And whenever he talks about this hour, he's talking about his death on the cross. It's a direct reference to him going to the cross to die. And what he's saying is he's saying his appointed time when he goes to the cross that will change everything. When that happens, then this will happen. Jesus is saying, when I die, it will utterly change how you worship forever. And here's why. Because when Jesus is dying on the cross... Do you know what his last words were? I thirst. He says, I thirst. It's incredible. You can read about John 19, 28. Here is the one who is the source, the one who promises living water. And what does he say? I'm thirsty. Why is Jesus thirsty on the cross? Why is he thirsty? Well, he actually thirsts because he's been cut off from the fountain of God for us. That's what's going on on the cross. On the cross, Jesus steps into our guilty shoes and he takes what we deserve. He thirsts so that we don't have to. We dig broken wells, so we should thirst. But instead, Jesus takes our place. He goes thirsty. On the cross, he is forsaken by God so the living water, eternal life, can be ours. So remember right at the start, we mentioned from the book of Exodus that when the rock of God was struck, living water would flow. That was just a physical picture of what Jesus would do for all of us. He would be struck. The rock would be struck so that life-giving water can flow from him. And remember those desires we talked about? Desires for, um, that we look for in love, in, uh, in money, those, those, those underlying desires. Talked firstly about this desire for love that we look for in sex and in relationships. Jesus actually says, do you know how much I love you? I love you so much that I went to a cross and I died for you. I took the the weight of God's judgment on myself so you didn't have to. That's how much I love you. 
It's pretty incredible, I think. You drink that in, you drink the knowledge of that love in, and that will actually start to satisfy you. That sense of belonging, that sense of security that we might look for in money, Jesus says, because of my death, because of my resurrection, you can be with me, you can belong to me for eternity. And no one can snatch you out of my hand. That's security, right? That's true security. That sense of belonging, if you're looking for in popularity, Jesus says, I love and delight in you. I know absolutely everything about you, and yet I want you to be mine forever. I went to the cross to secure that. Friends, do you see the one who was struck for you? If you want satisfaction in life, find satisfaction in his love that's shown for you on the cross. Finally, one last cartoon just to finish. This person says, well, I met Jesus. Spent some time learning about what he's done for me. He gave me a new heart. I trusted him with my life. Got to be honest, I was expecting a lot more. Quite a letdown, this Jesus. I'm going to keep looking. Do you know that doesn't happen either? No one says that. Not when you drink out of his love. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who wants to satisfy our thirsts. We are sorry for the times when we've looked in other places to find our satisfaction. Father, I pray that we would see your love for us at the cross and that we would feel that we are satisfied because we know that we belong, that we are loved, and that we have eternal security when we trust in you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.